Hello and welcome to the Reds Unrestricted podcast. This is episode 46. I'm your host for today, Dan Club. I'm joined as ever by Dave Comerford and Chloe Boxham. Today's date is the 23rd of December 2021. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, obviously, we're going to be looking back at what was a pretty enthralling game in the end. Um, Carabao Cup quarterfinal. Liverpool get through on penalties against Leicester, having not been out of the game by any stretch, but, you know, sort of been outclassed in the first half, if you like, by a, a very strong Leicester side, which is basically their Premier League team. Um, but we're going to look ahead um, as well to the games coming up over the Christmas period. But first, as ever, I'll check in with my two fellow co-hosts. Uh, Chloe, you were at the game as well. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, my voice is tougher here today, but honestly, I really couldn't care less. What an absolute win that was. These are the moments that you love football for. Uh, absolutely, it gives you the energy and... Um, no matter you know what happens in the next couple of days, you're still buzzing from what's just happened at the football the day before. So yeah, um, what a, what a night! Brilliant to see. Yeah, it was. What a night is is definitely right. It was a weird one. Like I said, I touched on it off air. It was a strange one because sort of first forty five minutes while we were getting, <laughs> we were in the game. There's no doubt about it. But there was definitely moments where Bayer thought, okay, you know, this young side, this patched up side, is in trouble here. Um, and obviously the changes helped at half time, but you know, it's second half was just a different world altogether. It was a different football match. And um, Dave, just your initial reactions before we move on, mate. You know, are you made up to get through in the end? Because you know, Klopp's treated these domestic cups with a little bit of disdain previously. But are you happy that we made it through? Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, whether we win the competition or not, I, I don't know. It's certainly going to be very difficult to do that, but. Yeah, I think the overriding thing is that it's just another very memorable night and an illustration, really, that belief runs through the squad from from top to bottom because obviously it was a heavily changed team from what you'd call the strongest Liverpool side yesterday. But that kind of same spirit was still there and that's um, really encouraging to see. And Klopp's just left such a huge imprint on basically every player at his disposal. And yeah, more evidence of that last night. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's something we've seen a lot of recently in terms of if you think about the AC Milan game, we obviously reflected on it on here in the aftermath. Um, it was a very Liverpool performance in terms of the quality was even still there in that game and the setup and the high line we spoke about in terms of the defence. And that was similar last night in a way, but in terms of the spirit, like you're like saying, in terms of that never say die attitude, certainly second half was absolutely outstanding. Um, we'll move on to dissecting the game in a little bit more detail now then. Um, I'll get your three-word match review first, Chloe. Um, and also, what you're, I've touched on the first-half performance, and I think a lot of that was down to the side that Jurgen Klopp picked. So what did you make of the side um, to start off with, please? My three-match, uh, well, three-word uh, review would be what a comeback, because honestly, in that first half, it was a bit of a struggle at times to watch. Um, I was disappointed with the way that, you know, it looked a bit more weakened than maybe we could have gone. Um, I, I definitely thought maybe Canate would have started. Uh, but 
I can sort of understand at the same time about what Jürgen Klopp's thinking of because we've got a really busy period coming up, some massive, massive games in there. And he's also got to deal with the fact that some players are, you know, are sidelined with COVID. So, um, and he might not want to rush them back straight after if they've if they've had it in case you've got any effects from it. So I could understand, but I still was disappointed when I seen the team because I thought to myself, as soon as you looked at Leicester's, you clearly thought to yourself, we're going to be in some trouble here. Mm. Um, and I, I, that's not, you know, giving discredit to, to the lads that was on the pitch in that first 45, but that is Leicester's near first team lineup. Yeah. That was a strong, strong side. And by the way, I've got no idea which of their players had COVID because it's been a miraculous turnaround for them to play six days after, you know, they had to cancel something with a COVID crisis. I've got no idea what's gone on there. Um, but I didn't expect them to be. I said before the game, it might be even more entertaining the fact that they've had COVID. So they've probably got to make changes. And it was almost a full squad. I've got no idea what happened. Um, but that first 45, we were shaky when we were nervy and rife, rightfully so. We had some teenagers on the pitch. That happens. Mm-hmm. They're playing at Anfield. You've got the nerves. You've got the atmosphere. And let's be honest, fans can get on players' backs at times. And Anfield won't let you play a certain way before they say something, before they make you wake up. Um, And it took us 15 minutes to wake up. I think... Once we'd got over that patch and we scored a goal and got back in it, I actually thought we were pretty stable. I thought we dominated the possession a bit. Obviously, they were still getting chances on the break um, Mm. because we were struggling, but it was all coming from us. We were absolutely fine in possession, in control, and then we'd just give a ball away on the right-hand side to to them. And it was just, it was a two-second pass and they were in. And it was us, it was us creating that. And I think Jürgen Klopp even said it after the game. Everything was fine up until those moments happened. And if you could wipe out those moments, we were actually pretty in control. Um, and second half, obviously, the changes had to be made, which were the correct changes. I looked at the bench and didn't think we had much there. But my Christ, the players that came on changed and influenced that game massively uh, and took the game by the scruff of the neck and literally just said to themselves, you know, this crowd is going to get on us. Let's go for it. Um, and at half time, I, I I said especially to every single lad that's playing on this pitch right now, just play for the badge. Just just make it a bit more of a game, and just go and enjoy yourself because you never, you know, don't take this for granted wearing this LFC shirt or getting your debut, um, because you never know when it's going to happen again. So um, I just wanted the hundred percent effort, and the most defo gave me that in the second half. Yeah, they certainly did. And I, I make you dead right in terms of, you know, your analysis of the game because Liverpool were in the contest. I might have been a little bit harsh on them before, but there was definitely signs of, you know, little lapses in, in concentration, little errors here and there. And, and in in many ways, Leicester just pounced on them time and time again. And they could have been further clear by half time, if we're going to be honest. Um, Kelleher. And and a Tyler Morton tackle getting back as well kept us kept us sort of in the contest if you like. Um, Dave, I get your three word match review and your sort of initial reaction because around me last night there was a lot of not disgruntlement but a lot of bemusement as to why we had gone 
sort of so weak, if you like. But I don't think it was necessarily a weak side. I just think it was a weak side when you take into account what Leicester had at their disposal and what they named, because I don't think anyone predicted that. So I'll get your thoughts, Dave. Yeah, so I'll start with uh, with the team selection. I I did expect us to go stronger. I know Klopp's never really attacked uh, the Carabao Cup, but uh, I was surprised when that when I saw the team and I think my reaction was similar to Chloe in that um I was kind of fearful of what might happen especially when you compare it to what Leicester had out um I think there are a couple of important points to make here uh the first is that we were without two players who would probably have been nailed on to start in um Origi and and Phillips yeah. I think Phillips is especially one to note because he would have played off Cometio and all of a sudden the defence looks quite a bit stronger given the level of experience that he has in comparison. And then Origi as well, you know, if he's in that front three and you don't have Williams there, Williams can potentially play right back. Mm-hmm. And again, that looks better as well. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that, you know, Leicester obviously pretty much went all out. And I think you saw... Obviously, they kind of reaped the rewards of that. It looked like they were going to in the first half, you know, going in at 3-1. But at the same time, um, they lost two players to injury as well, I'm pretty sure. I think, uh, who was it they lost in the first half? Ricardo in the first half. Yeah. Sulchu in the second, yeah. is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah bang on. So, uh, I suppose Klopp Cup sort of pointed that and say, look, if we play a full-strength side with a squad that's already, you know, stretched, then that's what could have happened. Um but yeah, even in that context, I expected a stronger team. And when it went to 2-0 early on, I was sort of just thinking to myself, you know, to be totally honest, I was saying anything at all, what's the point of this kind of thing? Um, it felt like it was going to be a very long night. But uh, yeah, completely different game in the second half. And uh, the substitute changed the game, clearly, as Chloe alluded to. And my, uh, my three-word review was just how on earth, because it was one of those games where you just come out of it thinking... Have we managed to to get through in there? And very similar, I thought, to the the five all against Arsenal. Because I think in that yeah. game as well, there, there were two occasions where we were trailing by two goals and you were like, oh, well, we just aren't able to compete with the strength of lineup that they have. Uh, but no, the players keep fighting, score at last minute equaliser, which was a fantastic finish. And I thought all three mm. goals were um, as well. And then you obviously have Kellera um, pulling out the stops in the penalty shootouts as well um, to help us get the win. So, yeah, major shade to that game, I thought, um, in terms of how it went and like the kind of overriding emotions of it too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just echo most of what you guys have said in terms of the lineup. I don't think it was a particularly... I think we could have been a little bit stronger. I think obviously COVID and injuries, you know, hindered us a little bit. Origi's been a bit of a specialist in this competition so far. So him not being available was definitely a blow. Um, and I was surprised Leicester was so strong. And when you did see the two lineups, you thought, oh, OK, this is this is going to be a, a definite long night. And it looked that way until 45 minutes and... You know, credit to the lads who stayed on the field and credit to the lads who got took off because it was a big occasion for them. And I think Kumetio in particular looked to struggle. Um, Bradley had his moments going forward, whereby I was quite impressed, actually. But um, generally speaking, the occasion might have been just slightly ahead of them. Um, And that kind of got proven by the fact the game transformed so much in the second half. Um, My favourite match review. Um, just to finish on this section, was Diogo Jota's shithousery. 
because after James Madison celebrated in front of me, that stunning goal, in fairness to him, um, in front of the cop last night, Diogo Jota giving it beams in front of the Leicester fans after slotting the winning penalty was an absolute joy, joy to watch. So, And by the way, Jota, that man is lethal. That man, to give him half a chance, he is lethal. And I know we're kind of seeing that now and it's almost been said, but dear me, he keeps doing it, doesn't he? Um, we'll move on to <coughs> excuse me, one of the substitutes who... Another one of the substitutes who changed the game last night. And he actually only had 30 minutes to do so. Um, but he's been receiving a lot of praise. Um, Naby Keita, uh, really good performance, actually. Very forward-thinking, driving with the ball, making things happen. And there's a couple of compilation clips knocking around on Twitter I've seen this morning, if anyone wants to check it out. Um, yeah, really good. Um, Chloe, I'll come to you. Obviously, you've mentioned the three subs we made at half-time, you know, transforming the, the way the game was going, the direction of travel in it. But Naby Keita, your thoughts? Outstanding when he came on. Um, he, he literally, he was, I don't want to compare him to Gerard in any way, but Gerard was the player who stood up in every single game where we needed it. And he just grabbed hold of the ball and said, lads, come on. He grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. And Naby Keita did that similar. Um, he constantly was on the ball, always asking for it, always being available. And then he wasn't scared to drive. He wasn't scared to take on three or four players. And uh, I think there was a time where he's, uh, I think it's 3-2 by this point, and he's talking about four players on in their midfield, and he passes it to Jota, who's offside, and you're like, no, lad, just, just carry on. And he was like two yards away from literally being in on goal if he just would have carried the ball. Um, and he's tried to do a nice one too, and, and unfortunately, Jota's offside. But um, yeah, he, he was he was brilliant um, all over the pitch, everywhere he wants them. Um, influential in everything that he did. Um, I think also speaking about Jota there, the reaction, and also Schmeichel made an unreal save, but Naby Keita takes a shot, yeah, yeah, yeah. and somehow Jota flicks his head at it. And honestly, I thought it was destined for the goal, and somehow Schmeichel made an unbelievable save. But yeah, um, Naby Keita just set the tone. He was absolutely everywhere. Um, he was pressing on uh, to the opposition. He was carrying the ball forward. He was getting us up the pitch. He was recycling it when it needed recycling. Um, and he wasn't afraid. He knew that he had to take risks um, in this game because we were down by two goals. He knew that if he lost it by taking on a couple of players, well, it's what he kind of has to do because you can't play safe at that point um, when you're two goals down and, and you've got like 30 minutes to, to, to make an impact. He knew what he had to do and he came on and he bossed it in midfield. Um, and, and credit to him because he's got some you know, criticism, uh, which may be fair, maybe not. Um, since he's joined, but I think you saw the glimpse of what we all expected from that Naby Keita who played, you know, for Leipzig. That is the player that we saw, the player that was like, what, what an unbelievable lad he is. Um, and you saw glimpses of it uh, uh, against Leicester. And I really think a lot of people are just sat here thinking, oh, it's the League Cup, oh, what? That Leicester squad was mega. Um, a full lineup in in the Premier League. What those lads did the other night was unbelievable. And Brendan Rodgers turning around and saying we had Andy at the back and we, you know, talk Liverpool to the death is absolutely having everyone on and just trying to, you know, hide the fact that he's bottled a three-one, um, against 
half a half a team of youngsters for forty five minutes, and then for the other forty five minutes is just literally sat deep and took everything that he could and just literally time wasted for near forty five minutes and still came out and lost the game. Yeah, there was definitely a sweet irony to the uh, the fact that the equaliser came in the ninety fifth minute after they had time wasted for the previous 75 at least um so yeah that was nice yeah it was good um and you're right to sort of mention rogers um coming out with those comments i always find that sort of stuff really bizarre because you can't really you know lament your own availability when you look at what the opposition had out in terms of salah and mané was sat at home and they were available that's not mentioned the people who weren't available you know what i mean so really find that sort of sad sort of stuff really weird um so, yeah, Dave, Chloe mentions Navigator setting the tone there, which I think is a really good way of putting it. Um, and he certainly set the tone with my new mate, James Madison's the nutmegs on him, which was just, you know, majestic. Um, was he your standout performer, Navigator? Honestly, I think Chloe's pretty much covered all the bases there. I think, um, you know, he, he did exactly what Jürgen Klopp would have hoped uh, when he brought him on. And it was just that kind of impetus in possession in terms of, you know, bringing the ball forward, um, whether he's dribbling or, you know, playing that kind of ambitious pass. And it was, you know, really pleasing to see. And yeah, it was just that moment where he passed to the uh, to the offside, Diogo Jota, which was yeah. which was quite frustrating. But yeah, other than that, just really impressive. And I, th- I think um, most of the Liverpool fans I've seen on my Twitter feed have, have recognised that. So yeah, you know, it's mad that you sort of mentioned he only played half an hour, and like in my mind, um, he was one of the half-time subs, and I think yeah. that probably just reflects the level of impact he had on the game uh, within such a short space of time. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point, actually. Um, yeah, just just to finish on him, I think I echo everything you said. I touched on it earlier. He really did, you know, get us going forwards and get the momentum going. Um, and I think we have missed him. In recent weeks, obviously, he's been absent for a while. He's been back, you know, in fits and starts a little bit now. Obviously, played against Spurs at the weekend. But I think it was pretty evident when he went off against Brighton at home. We were one nil up at the time. Because We were one nil up at the time and in control of the game. Um, and then when he left for that hamstring injury, the whole balance of the side just looked off. And obviously, you know, we probably missed him for the next few weeks after that, if we're going to be honest. Um, but we'll move on to uh, a man who... Had a mixed night, it's fair to say. Um, hero one minute, chance to make himself a double hero just a few minutes later with a penalty. But um, I think the less said about that penalty, the better, if we're going to be honest. Um, Takumi Minamino, he's had a mixed Liverpool career as well, if, we, if we're going to be really honest about it. So I suppose generally, I'll come to you, Dave, on this one first. You know, What did you make of Minamino last night? But I want to get a more general feel about what you make of Minamino as a Liverpool player, I suppose. Has he improved since we've had him? Because we've seen him against us in the Champions League look really sharp. And then when we signed him, like just a few weeks later, it felt like you thought, OK, yeah, really smart signing. I think it was seven and a bit million. It didn't cost a lot. And you thought, really good, really clever, great addition to the squad. He's had a loan to Southampton in that time since then. And it's never really clicked for him at any point so obviously focus on last night but I do want to get a feeling off you is that where you think he's at in terms of his career yeah right so um I guess there's two things I want to say first of all I think number one the best game of his career could well prove to be against Liverpool 
Um, I think it's going to yeah. be hard to actually top that in a way. And the other thing would be, if anyone actually thought that Minamino was going to score the penalty yesterday, um, I was a bit amazed. It just felt like it would have been too good. Just to say, um, it had to be jotted, didn't it, by the way, at that stage? Is it just me? Well, you know what? You've got a, you've got a point there, actually. I think it's just in terms of um, who's got that sort of confidence in, in those situations. Um, thankfully, it didn't, it didn't matter in the end. But, no. uh, but yeah, I, I really didn't have much confidence in him to to bury it. Um, just, it just kind of felt like scoring like the equaliser. We should have just taken that sort of confidence boost for him and, and ran. <laughs> but we, <laughs> we, we can't uh, kind of try to double our luck, I suppose. But yeah, I think, I mean, to focus on last night, it, it was a mixed night and it's, you know, when he comes up with that big moment and like I said before, it was a brilliant finish, you know, and brilliant control as well. Um, having, you know, fumbled a, a first touch earlier on, I think when Casey played the ball into the box, you know, you think that's like a huge moment for him and you'd wonder how much the penalty miss is going to kind of undercut that. I think the fact that we went on to win the game hopefully means he's not ruined that too much. Um, but yeah, so I thought he struggled in the first half, but then he comes up with two big moments in the second with with an assist as well as the goal. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting one last night and then in terms of Minamino more generally, I think the improvement that you're seeing is above all else in terms of the end product. Um, you know, that's five goals he's got for the season now. I don't know if you saw that really bizarre stat that the Liverpool Twitter account um, put up and it, it was like he's the first player to score in three consecutive League Cup games since Schmeitzer or something. I'm like, oh, OK, well, <laughs> I think you're just trying a little bit too hard <laughs> um, to give Minamino a record or something, but... But yeah, I think that's uh, five goals now for the season and one every 105 minutes uh, overall, which, you know, he's played some maybe weakened or slightly easier opponents in, in the League Cup in terms of, you know, Norwich and, and Preston and some of them goals. But how much more can you ask for someone who's playing his role? Not that much more, I don't think. And obviously, we're kind of at the halfway point of the season now. If he finishes on 10, then you think that's really good going, isn't it, for... Um, a player who's involved um, as much as he is. So, yeah, that's the thing for me. I think the end product, you know, there's still issues with his game. Uh, I think the physicality thing, I, I don't want to just be, you know, I don't think it's misguided to say that he just doesn't look strong enough in some situations. Like, I think he does get bullied off the ball a little bit. Um how easy that is to remedy it, I'm not too sure beyond just, you know, putting in extra gym work, but I'm sure he's been doing that anyway. So, yeah, I think it's, he's clearly got limitations as a player, but he is improving. And I think that's the overall trajectory this season, even though there have been maybe some moments where he wanted a bit more the Milan game, for example. So that's my kind of take on it, yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. I don't think it is misguided. I don't, I don't think it's even... An easy criticism. I don't think it's just something you say. He, he does look a little bit lightweight. And it's almost like if you're going to be a little bit lightweight in the Premier League, you need to be that next level above, technically, to get away with it. Um, and I'm not sure he is that yet. I mean, one that springs to mind straight away is someone like Philip Coutinho. I mean, he was, you know, diminutive, to say the least. But he was, you know, as much as we don't really like him anymore, he was next level, wasn't he, in terms of his technical ability. 
Um, and I'm not sure Minamino's quite there yet. But if you can impact these sort of games, and obviously the FA Cup's coming around the corner, I mean, if you can have little spells and fits and starts in the Premier League when he comes on and stuff, then that's great. That's all we really want from him at this stage. But of course, there is the problem. Let's call it a problem. There is the issue of AFCON coming up around the corner. Um, Chloe, I'll get your thoughts on Minamino more generally as well. But I do want to ask you, obviously, we've got Origi. We look like we got left with Origi, Minamino, Jota and Firmino. You'd imagine Jota and Firmino are pretty much shoo-ins to the front three when Salah and Mane go away. Right now, Minamino or Origi, who are you saying? Um... You know what? That's a hard one for me because I think Origi has got to be nailed on in it. But I, I, for me, I think Takumi Minamino, he's an unbelievable player. I really do. I think we've got an unreal player there. I just don't think you've been able to see it yet. Um, I think you've seen glimpses of it, but it's not been there. And fair play to him, he's not got a run of form in this side. You look at the Palace game a couple of years ago, he does unbelievable. He's, he, you think to yourself, oh my God, get him in a bit of form, get him playing. And then you, he's off somewhere and he's off to Southampton and you're like, he hasn't been given a chance. Everyone was fuming when he got put out on loan because we didn't think we had enough options anyway. Never mind then when you put players out on loan. I really think Minamino is a bit hard done by for the main reason of he joined during the pandemic. He didn't speak English. He was on his own for the majority of when he was joined, when he joined. We won the league, and you could see how shy he was on the on the videos and whatever. You know, Jordan Henderson, God bless him, had to come over and say to him, "Lad, get a photo with with the trophy." Everyone yeah. move away, give him the trophy, because and and that's that's fine. He's he's from a different part of the world, miles away, without family. We've got to also think that these footballers are also people, for God's sake. These people have a lot of expectation on their shoulder. They have to live through a pandemic in which they've not been able to see family members. He couldn't speak English. He's joined an unbelievable squad and he's got to force his way in. Everything he does is going to get criticised when you've got the front three that we've got. And then when you add Jotun into the mix, of course, it's going to be criticised. But for me, I think this season you've seen glimpses of him being unreal. I thought you saw it against Palace where he has an unreal game. And my word, it's gone under the radar. But that assist for Jota is yeah. unbelievable. The deft touch of it. So it's so easy to put too much power on that and absolutely volley it at someone two yards away. But the control and precision he has under that over that ball is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the chest for the goal. Indeed, he was about six foot. Has just jumped in front of him, and he's still able to control it like that. He, he couldn't have seen that ball till last minute and he still managed to control it and he's slotted it bottom bins. There's not really much you can ask for in, in a player. He, he gives 100%. He's always pressing. Um, and there's not much you can ask more of a player if he goes and gets an assist and a goal. Yet he misses the penalty. But somehow I felt more confident after he missed the penalty. Um, and I also, I expected him to miss in the sense of I just thought to myself, this is a lot of pressure for you, mate. It's an extreme amount of pressure. Um, and, you know, if it's maybe an inch under the bar, you get away with it. And you think, wow, what a great penalty. Mm. But it hits the bar and it goes sky. Um, and, yeah, it's it, it, it's one of those where you can say he's had a mixed game, but at the end of the day, 
he's also got us back in that game. Um, he's one of the heroes who, you know, has scored in the 95th. Imagine being in that situation. You've got the cops screaming at you in front of you. You're in the 95th minute. You know if you miss this chance, it's your last chance. And somehow he's had the composure to, t- to chest it, keep it touch tight to him, and also get over the ball to slot it bottom bins against just Michael, who was on form in that entire game. Um, I think his performance has gone under the radar a bit. And to be honest, I don't want to be too hard on the lad because um, I, I truly think he is a quality player. I think we've got someone in there who, who can produce moments. And I think you saw it mm. at times. He maybe took... He, he was too cute with things at times, but that that's the player he is. And at, at times, Bobby Firmino is too cute with things, but it's Bobby Firmino, so he gets away with it. Um, and I think Takumi Minamino, if he makes his name for himself... He's unbelievable with the cuteness, with the touch, with the you know the ability to take it round the player and pass it on and do one touch movements and uh, you just got to give him the opportunities to do that. You've got to get him used to the players in and around him. You've got to get him used to the players who make runs and the where he should be. Um, and I think you know he's brought on in a game this season for like five minutes where he plays at, at centre mid and you're like, well that's not his that's not his position. But what do you expect from a lad? With five minutes to go, he's playing centre mid, he's a striker. Um, and I just think at times we can criticise people a bit unfairly, but I don't think he's been given his opportunity yet. And I think he is an unbelievable player because Jürgen Klopp doesn't buy random players. First of all, you've got to have the work rate and the effort, and he, he has that. And then you just think back to that Salzburg game. Just the the, the one-two touches, the the... It just almost looked effortless to him. And I think we just need to get him in a rhythm um, and also make him believe in himself a bit more because um, he is a shy lad. And hopefully under that, you know, everyone's took him under his wing and hopefully the, the entire crowd can get onto him because after he scored that goal, you saw what it meant to him. And, he, he, yeah. he you know, he, he held the badge and he proper gave it to the cop holding the badge. It was passionate. And you know he loves the club from just what he's done there. So... Um, I really do hope it goes well for him, not just for Liverpool, but because I absolutely adore the lad. It's very hard not to. Yeah, it is. And you know what? You make some really, really good, valid points about the pandemic situation and all that. But I think it's not really criticism, certainly not when it comes to me in terms of how he's done so far as Liverpool career, because you're dead right. He hasn't been allowed to get into a rhythm at any point. I mean... I haven't looked at this, but I'd imagine he's never started as many as sort of three games on the run. I, I can't even think of a time where he started two. So there's definitely no rhythm to his Liverpool career whatsoever. But I suppose when you see a player that sometimes gets overlooked on the bench when you're looking for an attacking option and he doesn't come on, you think, mm, that's not a great endorsement of where he's at. And obviously he goes on loan to Southampton, does OK for a few weeks, but doesn't really kick on from there either. You think, oh, I don't know. Is this really going to work? But you're dead right. There's definite signs of his quality. We've seen two of them last night. Um, and we've seen them previously in his in his spell so far at the club. So I hope it works for him. I think he's a Liverpool player in terms of his style and in terms of his work rate and his endeavour. I think there's no doubt about that. But as we stand right now, it hasn't really clicked for him in full yet and probably like he would have wanted and Klopp would have wanted and etc etc but hopefully you know we're all proven to be right or wrong whichever way you look at it in the coming months and next month with Afghan he's got a chance to get a hell of a lot more game time so that could be the making of him let's hope anyway and um, just to finish on last night 
Um, I do want to get your thoughts on Joe Gomez because there have been quite a lot of talk about him over the past week or so. Because, you know, he hasn't been playing that much football, if we're going to be honest. Um, he came back from that serious injury last year. Um, he's had a little injury since, I think a calf problem a few weeks ago. But in between that, he hasn't really been, you know, featuring. Um, especially given the fact that at one point he was the man alongside Virgil van Dijk. So... I think he had a few shaky moments himself last night, um, having not watched the game back in full. I can't, I can't recall them off by heart, but I'm pretty sure he did. Um, I'll come to you, Dave. You know, obviously we've got games coming up, it's a really busy schedule, um, and obviously the semi-final with Arsenal in a few weeks' time. So where are you at with Joe Gomez? Are you confident he's still, you know, he's still worthy of a place in any starting line for Liverpool? Well. I mean, the shaky moments you refer to, I think, uh, probably above all, the one or two occasions where he gave the ball away carelessly, kind of in his own half or around the halfway line. Yeah, we got um, away with both, I think, didn't we? Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. we did. Um, yeah. But that probably speaks uh, more than anything else to the, the lack of sharpness that he has, really. And uh, it is so difficult, isn't it, to, to come back from the injury that he suffered and to get back to the levels we kind of need them at, I suppose, without uh, significant game time. You know, obviously, he can, you know, train as much as he likes, but in terms of those kind of match situations, like, that's probably what he needs to, you know, recover his level. And I think a lot of the points that we'll probably make um, when we talk about Gomez are similar to what we discussed when we... I think it might have been after the Milan game when he played alongside Massip. Um and we were sort of like, yeah, he just needs time. And I think you still feel like that now. Mm-hmm. And I suppose you, you then wonder where the minutes are going to come from. And it's possible that he's going to be needed uh, in one of the next couple of games or or in January. It's whether you have the, the confidence in him, I suppose. And it's kind of hard to feel particularly confident in this kind of version of Joe Gomez that's still you know, feeling the after effects of the injury because he hasn't been able to sort of have that full return to play. I suppose it's only kind of been occasional, occasional chances that he's got. So, yeah, for me, it's it's about building up sharpness because I'm someone who will defend Joe Gomez and kind of fight his corner because I I remember, and I think all of the fans should remember how good he, he can be when he's at his best and... um you know, the partnership that he forged, he forged with Van Dyke. So I don't think that it's a cause for doubting him long term. I think, I don't know if you saw that video this week where Van Dyke sort of puts his arm around Kanate and Gomez and he's like, yeah. these two are going to take over from me. And I still think that's very much the case. Um, it's just a very difficult situation he finds himself in, really, with uh, trying to get back 100% sharpness, but almost being bottom of that kind of in order of four players and waiting for his chances. So maybe it's almost a case of you do sort of throw him in um, in games. You take a bit of a risk in terms of is he completely ready for this level and maybe ultimately is a risk that could pay off. Um, difficult uh, situation though. It is. And, you know, you mentioned the pecking order there and I think that's what makes it so difficult um, because he's kind of got himself back to fitness and part of him might have been thinking, okay, get fit, get playing, get back alongside Van Dyke. But that just hasn't been the case. Obviously we signed Canate and he 
you know, by the looks of it, goes in ahead of him. Um, and Matip certainly does. So it's not easy, you know, from a mindset point of view and certainly from a performance point of view when you're not playing. So, yeah, I completely take that on board. Um, Chloe, just to finish for you on Joe Gomez, are you in a similar sort of boat to Dave or have you... Do you think there are more concerns there with the way he's been playing? No, I, I think it just takes time um, and it takes obviously getting used to being on a pitch again and having to deal with, you know, you're never going to get um, the same situation twice. You're never going to get it. It's always going to be slightly different. And unless you're on that pitch, you're not going to adapt to it. You're not going to be able to, you know, get in the position, adjust yourself, be in the right mindset. Um, it's one thing training, it's another thing doing it on a pitch in front of, you know, 54,000 Liverpool fans who all want to win. Um, and I think um, what did help, you know, he's also, he's coming back from injury and he's also got, you know, Connor Bradley, who's mm. a youngster on the right-hand side, Cometio, who's a youngster at, on the left-hand side of him. And both players did have a bit of, of yeah. a problem throughout the game. Um and, you know, hopefully they can get over that. We we won, you know, be proud of the fact that you've gone out there and you've put in a shift. Um, but I think we also got to take in the fact that he's he's trying to coach these two players in whilst also trying to come back from his own injury and keep self, himself mm-hmm. focused. Um, but I think he, he didn't get off on the right foot because I think I think Dakar has a chance within the first several minutes and he literally just passes it to the midfielder literally within their half and I'm like they do one ball and Dak is in and I'm like I think I just sat there and was like Joe 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 what have you done like what are you doing there um but I think you know just just get him used to being back what I would say is I find it hard to see where he'd get performances because for me my main two are Virgil and Matip if they're always fit I want them to start because they've been pretty good but Kanate the the way the team was stable when Canate came on, he absolutely bullied Jamie Vardy up top. No wonder Jamie Vardy didn't want to take a pen. My Christ, he'd been bullied for 45 minutes in that second half. Um, and once we matched them for pace at the back, they just didn't know what to do. They mm. didn't have an outball. And I think that's what Joe Gomez and Canate can do for you. Virgil van Dijk, the structure, the stature of him, everyone's like, no, nah, I can't be asked taking you on. Everyone is like that with a bit like Joe Gomez and Canate. They just know you're not going to bully them, really. You know, Canate literally manhandles you within a second because he's just, he's an absolute unit. And if you try and take them on with pace, good luck because the two of the fastest centre halves you're going to get. Um, and we saw that because they had Zaka, Vardy, they had Madison running in behind at times. Um, and they literally, in that second half, couldn't do a single thing. I think they might have got in once. Um, uh, maybe once or twice, and, and that's it. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's a major problem. Um, but what I would say is I, I struggle to see where he can get the rhythm and build it back up. Um, we've got, obviously, the the second... Well, the legs against Arsenal coming up. But considering you one game away from Wembley, I'd, I'd like a pretty decent squad there. Um, and I think he's good enough. But let's see you know, who's fit and available. Um, and also the FA Cup against Shrewsbury probably starts yeah. there, doesn't he? Um, but aside from that, it's very hard for him to break into, to, you know, a Premier League side unless someone gets injured. And please, God, never let that happen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree with you in terms of um, 
I think the cup games look like his best chance of getting minutes. Um, and if we absolutely obliterate Inter Milan in the first leg, which would be nice as well, maybe get to start in the second. Um, I was, I was going to say as well, you touched upon it there, but I think second half, Joe Gomez was much more assured. I think that was a combination of being alongside Nico Williams, who compared to Conor Bradley is a lot more experienced, and certainly being alongside Canate. I think it just transformed the whole game. Whether that was, like I say, Gomez up in his level, or just being more confident of what was around him and not being so tentative, because his decision-making in the first half left a hell of a lot to be desired. There's no doubt about that. Now, it was about this point in the podcast that we moved on to the Leeds game, and we spent about 20 minutes previewing that one, only to find out about an hour or so after we finished that it had been postponed. So, unfortunately, we'll have to shelve that Leeds discussion for when the game is rescheduled, but for now, I'll leave it to Dan to wrap up the podcast. Yeah, that is all we've got time for. I do want to get final thoughts off you guys because this is the last episode before Christmas, so I've got to do it. Um, it's been a packed show. I'm fully aware of that. But Dave, go for gold. Well, all I'll say is um, you can follow all three of us on, on Twitter. The links are all going to be in the episode description. And if you've got any thoughts, questions, comments, anything like that, um, just get in touch with with any of us. I know my, my DMs are open on there. And yeah, yeah uh, Merry Christmas to both of you and to everyone that's listening as well. Yeah, good man. And Chloe? Uh, nothing. Just just enjoy uh, the time because you don't know what's around the corner with everything that's going on. Make sure uh, you stay safe. And I hope everyone has a, a, a boss Christmas because the Reds have most definitely delivered me uh, a brilliant lead up to Christmas anyway. Yeah, definitely. I echo that. Um, and Merry Christmas to you both. Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, do want to say as well... Um, I was going to do the Who Am I, but like I say, it has been a packed show. Um, this week it was topical because it was going to be Gary McAllister because his birthday is on Christmas Day. So happy birthday, Gary, and Merry Christmas for the same day, which I've always found a bit mad. I never would have wanted that myself. But um, yeah, so anyway, that is all we've got time for. We'll be back next week to look back on the Leeds and Leicester game and ahead to a pretty tasty encounter with Chelsea, to be honest. So yeah. Have a good Christmas, stay safe, and we'll see you all soon.